Bring the love of Wisconsin's outdoors in through the beauty and quality craftsmanship of Pella Windows and Doors. Lock in your prices by February 28th and get 0% interest for up to 48 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you spending your Friday afternoon with me. Sometimes I see these stories, and, and I swear, I can't, I can't believe... That this is America in 2023. Let's get right into it. Look, I I understand that I am more moderate on the question of abortion than some people are. I I understand that, but I I respect people's opinions. I I respect those people who are taking to the streets and are protesting for you know abortion on demand anytime i i get it i understand where that argument comes from don't agree with all that similarly i i don't agree that with the you know certain aspects of the pro-life movement where people say well, we should never have any, be able to have any abortions ever i i just i'm more moderate with that but nevertheless i respect that this is a difficult it is a complicated issue and that i believe reasonable people can disagree one of the things that has happened in the months since Roe versus Wade has been overturned, though, is the abortion debate has become, if possible, even more polarized than it ever has. And there is this attitude that is developing that if you are somebody who is pro-life, well, your ideas are dangerous. How dare you have a pro-life vision? And this is the latest story. All right. Um, January 20th, there was the March for Life in Washington, D.C., and you had people from all over the country who came to demonstrate in favor of the decision to um, overturn Roe versus Wade. Among the people that came to Washington, D.C., was a group of students and their chaperones from a school in Greenville, South Carolina, called the Our Lady of the Rosary School. They traveled to Washington, D.C. to participate in the March for Life. And one of the things that all the, the kids and the chaperones were doing is they had beanies, like ski caps, and they were all powder blue on them, and they said Rosary, which is, of course, the name of the school, and then it said Pro-Life in big letters, but they're, they're, they're powdered blue. Now, there were a couple reasons why everybody was wearing the, these, uh, you know, these Robin's Egg blue beanies. First was, well, they're there at the Pro-Life March. They are showing their support for the cause. Secondly, they're with lots of people, and the kids and the chaperones said, let's everybody wear these hats because it easily allowed the chaperones to identify the kids in a crowd. It's one of these things that, hey, we're going to be with lots and lots of people, so the, these bright blue beanies will allow us to make sure Jeff and Charlie you know, don't, don't roam too far, and we'll be able to find them, and they'll be able to find the group. So, okay, that, that's it. You would not think this would be controversial. Well, after the march... What the group does is they said, hey, we're in D.C. 
we're going to take in some of the, the different things that are there. And if you're a regular listener of this program, you know that I absolutely love Washington, D.C. I used to go there in another life on a regular basis. But if you ever get a chance to go to D.C., my advice is is do it. And there's all sorts of things that it doesn't matter how many times I've been there. There's all sorts of things that I, I, I do over and over again. I love going to the Lincoln Memorial. I love then looking at the Lincoln Memorial and taking a right. and You walk down this path and there you're at the, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial at, and at the wall. And I'm telling you, you know, I don't care how many times you see that. You look at the wall. You, you, you know, if if you don't leave with, you know, tears in your eyes, there, there's something wrong. There's a number of other institutions. I love the Smithsonian, and, and sometimes people get this confused. The Smithsonian is not just one building. The Smithsonian is it's a th- series of museums that are relatively actually close to where the Vietnam Veterans Wall is and, uh, and the Vietnam Veterans Memorial is. I, I, all, I love going to the, Ameri- the, muse- the Museum of American History, it's just, it's tremendous. And then you walk a few blocks further, and you come to the Air and Space Museum. And if you ever have a chance to go to the Air and Space Museum, I, I do it. I mean, it, it's a, it's amazing. It traces the, the it, it traces the history of aviation from Wilbur and Orville Wright through the moon landings to the space shuttle. It, it's just, it's an amazing place to be. So you got these kids and their chaperones. They're wearing the blue beanies. The blue beanies say pro-life on them. And after the March for Life, they go over to the Air and Space Museum. All right? Apparently, what happens is once they get into the Air and Space Museum, they are approached by a security guard who tells them that they must either take off their hats or leave the president or, or leave the premises. Um, one of the kids says, no, we're wearing the hats to identify ourselves and find somebody else in the crowd. Now, apparently, there's all sorts of people, and I've been to the Air and Space Museum on multiple occasions. There is no rule that says you can't wear a hat in, in, in there. So there's no rules against hats. Apparently, what happens additionally is that you have at least a handful of the, the guards who are mocking the kids for wearing that hat they said all people wearing a pro-life hat you have to take it off now the statement is also that apparently a couple of the guards start to mock the kids for wearing the pro-life hats um and they're, they're ultimately told you got to take off the hats or you have to leave so this then ends up in as you might expect a huge brouhaha and the kids are ultimately they refuse to take off their hats and they are kicked out of the building because they're wearing their matching pro-life hats all right our number 855-616-1620 that's the old national bank talk and text line so these kids and their chaperones are singled out they say they're mocked and ultimately, they are tossed out because they refuse to remove their hats. The statement is the museum staff mocked the students, called them expletives, made comments that the museum was a net neutral zone where they could not express such, such statements. The employee who ultimately forced the students to leave the museum at, in first place was rubbing his hands together in glee as they exited the building. 
855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, for their part, after this incident has now gone public, the museum says, well, okay, um, we, we don't have any rules at all uh, about hats. And the museum employees who tossed the kids out, um, they have been talked to, and they have gone through a, let's see, um, asking visitors to remove hats and clothing is not in keeping with our policy or protocols. We provided immediate training to prevent a reoccurrence of this kind of incident and have taken steps to ensure this does not happen again. That's what they say. 855-616-1620. Forget the retraining. Anybody involved in tossing these kids out should be fired. It should have been their last day. Look, I don't go nuclear with people who make mistakes from time to time, but this is America. The way these kids were treated was absolutely inappropriate. It was because they were pro-life that their trip to the Air and Space Museum was ruined, and anybody responsible for this should not be working there again. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. So that's the story. Dozen kids from a, a Catholic school in South Carolina. They're at the right. Uh, they're at the National uh, Right to Life March Day in Washington D.C. They go over to the Air and Space Museum. They're all wearing these bright these aren't these light blue beanies that say the name of their school and pro-life on them they go in there and guards come up to them they mock them apparently they curse at them and they throw them out saying you're not allowed to be in here with those beanies the smithsonian once this goes public says but we don't have any rules against hats of course they don't have any rules against hats and what we've done is we've provided these employees retraining um to to uh, make sure this doesn't happen again skip the retraining fire at their butts. Can you imagine, a number of our texters are pointing this out, can you imagine if after a, another march in Washington, D.C., a group of people wearing, let's just say for the sake of argument, Black Lives Matter hats, okay, BLM, they're wearing the same sort of beanies there. They come in. Can you imagine what would have happened if somebody tried to throw them out? But, of course, nobody would have tried to throw them out. Nobody would have even thought about it, but because You've got a couple of these guards or these employees, hopefully soon to be former employees, of the Smithsonian who are offended that anybody could have a pro-life idea. Well, they tell them they have to get out. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, you stole a little bit of my thunder, but I applaud these kids and their chaperones. It's about time we start standing up for our ourselves and always being under attack it it all started back with the mega hats you know uh, make america great again um people are getting kicked out of restaurants for for wearing that that hat um and you're all right i guarantee you almost guarantee you that if it was a pro-choice hat or a black lives matter hat they probably would have been applauded and rolled the red carpet would have been rolled out to them well, now, thanks to call, Jeff. I, I, I just know I, I know that nobody would have thought about tossing, you know, people out. And see, and this is see, this is different when when it's a situation where you're talking about a private business, and if the private business decides that 
we don't want to serve people who are pro-life. Okay, I think that's a stupid decision. They deserve to be criticized. They deserve to be boycotted. But but that's a decision they make. But this isn't a private business. This is a museum that is open to the public. And there are no rules uh, against uh, against clothing. Maybe they've got some rules if it's offensive clothing or something like that. But these kids aren't walking around with T-shirts that have obscene expressions on them. And, and by the way, you know, I my guess is my guess is that if they did have some of those T-shirts, I doubt that they would have been thrown out as well. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I think the way these kids were treated was nothing short of despicable. To be mocking young kids, you know, your guards, employees, whatever. Just you, if there was something really bad there, you just kindly ask them that they have to take them off or leave or whatever. But to get into the whole thing of mocking kids like that is just no excuse for it. But I would also like to add, you know, Ilan Omar has been in the news lately too here, and she's walking around with all her garb on and in the government buildings and she's allowed to dress the way she wants to and nothing said about that or if something was said can you imagine the uproar so what well, are we I mean, talking Sam, about here right now sam I, I thanks for calling i mean i, I look this is like i have no problem with uh, you know alan omar who is muslim and she dresses in the traditional muslim garb and that that's her right nobody i don't think anybody would think of suggesting that she shouldn't be allowed to go into a public building dressed like that and of course not and again if this was a situation where we were dealing with content that was offensive I, okay, I, I I understand it, but that's not what this was. And and as a matter of fact, I mean, first of all, the the, the content. If if you are a guard at the Air and Space Museum and you can't handle somebody wearing a beanie that says pro life on it, well, you've got a lot of problems in your life. Secondly. Um, the, the other reason the kids were wearing this, it wasn't just the message. It was, hey, the, this this helps us identify our group. But how can you possibly single people out for, you know, this? Jeff, would people wearing hats saying they're pro-abortion and be kicked out? No, of course they wouldn't be. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, they got kicked out. Um, but. You were talking about yesterday, a guy with male genitalia can use the women's shower and locker room and some YMCAs. My head is exploding. Um, yeah, Jeff, I'd say fire him. First Amendment totally disregarded. Um, let's see, Jeff, even if there was a rule against hats, you don't mock and curse at kids for breaking a dress code rule. But there wasn't a rule about it. Jeff, I agree with you. Um, who did the employees think they are to not allow these children in? It's outrageous. And training, though good, should have been followed by more serious consequences. Um, no question, Jeff. I'm not the least surprised about the incident museum. In the last couple years, there has been an anti-life movement happening in America, and I'm not just talking about abortion. Well, I, I look, I, I don't know about that, but, but this idea that now if you are pro-life, that is such an offensive idea. And as, as I said at the start of this, 
I understand. I am more moderate on this issue than, than maybe some of you are. But this idea that you, you can't have that view. How dare you try to come into a Smithsonian and uh, because somebody somewhere could be offended? Jeff, is the museum funded by taxpayer dollars in any way, shape, or form? The answer is yes. If the answer is yes and no students, uh, students may have a case of violation of their First Amendment rights, and if they're smart, they'll take it all the way. Matter of fact, two of the kids have already um, – there is a law firm that's looking into this. Retraining is fine, but the staff and guards took it upon themselves and their personal feelings, and they are not there to enforce feelings. The Civil Liberties Union should get involved in this one and represent these kids. Yep. And, you know, we are being swamped with, uh, again, we're we're being swamped with, uh, you know, texts on this. And I, I think most take the position that this was an outrage, but I want to share one or two just so you understand it. Jeff, why would anyone put such polarizing statements on children's clothing? It's ridiculous. Why would anybody put such polarizing statements on children's clothing? I read this text just because you have to understand that there are people out there who think this this way. The fact that you go to a Catholic school, you attend the March for Life, these are high school kids, and you've got a beanie that says pro-life. That is polarizing. That is so polarizing. It is ridiculous. Uh, again, I would suspect that if these were high school students wearing, I don't know, perhaps other messages, some of my more liberal listeners or texters wouldn't have a problem with this at all. But how dare anybody, how dare anybody have the audacity to publicly say that they are pro-life? It's a heck of a world. One of our texters says, Jeff, where's Al Sharpton when you need him? Well, I doubt that this is the issue that Al Sharpton wants to get involved with. But it is interesting. Where's the American Civil Liberties Union on this particular issue as well? But I guess it's one of those things, if you are pro-life in America nowadays, well, you're the one that's viewed as you, you're, you're the hater that, that's out there. And how dare you wear hats that say that you are pro-life? Don't you realize how offensive that might be? Go figure. All right. Another day, another child shot on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Here's the story. 919 yesterday, 1700 block of West Capitol Drive. Really not that far from where our old studios used to be. 15-year-old girl shot, suffered life-threatening injuries. And as they always say, the circumstances leading up to the shooting are under investigation. And as they always say, police do not have anyone in custody. The girl is from Milwaukee. Don't know all the details yet, but we're going to talk about this a little bit in the 1 o'clock hour. I just, with all the protests and all the people who want to take to the street and protest stuff, where, where is the outrage over kids dying? And the city of Milwaukee, where is the outrage over people stealing cars and killing other people? It's just so bizarre to me, the things that people decide to take to the streets and protest, not that they're not legitimate issues, but the other things, the larger stuff that they that goes on on a daily basis that they ignore. You know, I always loved economics in, in college. I, I just, I, I did. But there's sometimes, in the real world, it just makes absolutely no sense. Now, as Connie was just mentioning, uh, the stock market, which has been on a roll, really, since the beginning of the year. Uh, today, the Dow Jones down about 169. Uh, the NASDAQ, let me see, down, NASDAQ's down 160 points. Um, and, and 
the reason why the, the market is down is because there were strong economic numbers that, that came in th- this morning. The jobless rate is the lowest since 1969. Now, that's you got to have an asterisk because that doesn't include people who, if you've dropped out, if you're not looking for work, you, you don't get included in that. But but still, the, the jobless rate is slightly over 3%. That, that's a really, really good number because it's good that people who want jobs can find jobs, right? Um, payroll apparently um, surged in January. 517,000 jobs were, were added. So... If you sit there and you say, okay, this is the the number of people who are getting hired to work, it's up. That's good, right? The number of people who are looking for work, unemployed but looking for work, that's down. You would think that that would be like really good positive stuff. Well, okay, the problem is and the reason the stock market is down is because the fear is that these numbers came in as they would describe as hot. They were you know, more more people going to work than they anticipated, than economists anticipated. And as a result, that will put pressure on employers to raise uh, the amount of money they pay people, and therefore it will help fuel inflation. So more people back to work and fewer people looking for jobs is, at least today, it's, it's, it's bad for the economy because the fear is, well, maybe this means that the Federal Reserve is going to say, okay, inflation is still out of control and we're going to raise rates even more. It's just, it's just kind of incongruous, though, that what you would think would be good economic news, people back to work, more people hired, turns out to be something that Wall Street says, no, that this isn't good. Um, it's just it's just kind of a bizarre sort of thing. And the stock market's not down. I mean, like I say, it's been up big since the beginning of the year. And today's nothing like cratering, at least not so far, a couple more hours before it closes. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. All right. So last evening, my wife making dinner. And our ritual is when we're having dinner at home, we uh, and it's th- the timing is right, we turn on the ABC Evening News with David Muir, right? This is, you know, it, it's it's just uh, she likes David Muir. It's a way t- for us to just, like, see what the, the big headlines are of the day and stuff. Because, candidly, after I get done doing my show, I, I just, I really, I, I, I kind of decompress. It's like, okay, I, I don't, don't want to see news for a while um, because that's what I kind of do for a living. But she likes to watch David Muir. I like to make her happy, so we're watching David Muir. The, the lead-in is... Breaking news, spy balloon flying over U.S. Milit- uh, U.S. nuclear installations. And, and if, if, if you haven't heard the details of this, um, yesterday the United States uh, announced that there was a Chinese surveillance balloon like the size of, of three city buses. I mean, think like the Hindenburg that had been spotted over the continental U.S. and had been there for for days. And the balloon traveling at an altitude well above commercial air traffic, so it's not in the flight lanes, but they're tracking the balloon, and apparently the balloon has been spotted Wednesday flying over sparsely populated Montana. 
Why? Well, why would it be flying over Montana? There's not a lot of people in Montana. Well, Montana is home to several U.S. nuclear missile silos. So you've got this surveillance reconnaissance balloon that is flying over sensitive U.S. facilities and presumably taking pictures and sending the, the data back. Now, I'm not naive. This happens all the time. And Russia, United States, China, people have satellites. And you can, you know, you can do, use your satellites to take pictures of things like this. But this is, this is a surveillance balloon that is in U.S. airspace that is taking pictures of, of this. Now, China today says this is a civilian balloon. That's kind of a, a weather balloon, and it just kind of drifted off course. And my response would be, if you believe that, well, be sure to, you know, duck your shoulders so you don't hurt yourself when you fall off the the hay wagon. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Apparently, um, military authorities considered shooting the thing down and decided against it The reason they gave was, well, if we blow this thing out of the sky, there will be debris that falls, and it's possible that somebody on the ground could get hurt by the the falling debris. That was the reason that was given. I, I think the real reason behind this is the fact that the United States didn't want to antagonize China by shooting down their their surveillance balloon. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I guess my point is whether you shoot it down or somehow force it to land or somehow, I don't know, go up there and do whatever you do to kind of steer it away, you cannot allow a Chinese surveillance balloon to be flying over U.S. nuclear facilities taking pictures and providing data, right? 855-616-1620. That's the uh, old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, look, I I find it hard to believe that there wasn't a way that we could not, we being the United States, with all the military technology that we have, that we could not find a way to disable and bring this balloon to the ground without exposing thousands of people to risk of getting hit by falling shrapnel. So I, I just, number one, I kind of question that we couldn't have done that. But secondly, you can't just let this happen, can you? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Hey, Wisconsin, it might be cold right out right now, but soon it's going to be warming up, and you'll need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. And this week we're brought to you by the superheroes at Current Electric. To schedule a visit with them, you can call them at 262-786-5885 or go to callcurrent.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on WTMJ. Okay, I I. I do not claim to be a military munitions expert, and I don't play one on the radio. But, okay, it's now announced that China has a spy balloon, a surveillance balloon that is floating at 60,000 feet or above over U.S. nuclear facilities. Okay, 
and our response is to do essentially to do nothing. Well, we're going to talk to China about this. What? And and the Pentagon saying, well, we considered blowing it out of the sky, but we were afraid that if we destroyed the thing, well, then you know shrapnel would land on Billings, Montana, or or wherever, and people would get hurt. Well, I, I guess I, I mean I understand that, but I just refuse to believe number one that in 2023 the American military cannot figure out some way to disable a surveillance balloon that is flying, a balloon for God's sake, that is flying at 60,000 feet, taking pictures presumably of U.S. nuclear facilities. I, we, and, and there's got to be some way, isn't there, to, to bring this down. Secondly, I guess the, the fact that we, we would decide to just let this go on, to me, is is mind-boggling. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Gary in Brookfield. Gary, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. It's not mind-boggling. That's the way um, diplomacy works, and I hope that they have a solution fairly soon. So to judge them uh, would be unfair, but uh, you're right. You don't understand the military uh, munitions side very well. We have drones, some the size of the palm of our hands and some the size of cars. They could certainly just go up to the balloon and disable the cameras with munitions. Not a hard thing to do. There's more going on here than you know and that I know, and I think we should leave it at that. So it doesn't bother you that there is a surveillance balloon that is floating over nuclear facilities in Montana? I didn't say that. I I, I think that our military... And our, the White House have this uh, under control. They're talking, and they've already figured it out what to do. Well, Why Gary, we thanks don't for know I, is anybody's guess. Well, Gary, I, I th- thanks for the call. I, I, I hope you're, you're right, but there's no indication of that at this moment. Somebody was just saying that the, the latest reports they saw is that the balloon was now floating over Kansas City. I mean, I, look, I just... I, I can't imagine, and I, I understand that there's satellite technology and, and things like this, and, and maybe this is just China uh, trying to poke the bear, as it were, but th- this idea that, okay, well, trust the military and, and trust Joe Biden, we're going, to, we're going to just kind of do nothing, and we're going to express our concern to China that they're floating these surveillance balloons out there. I, I do wonder what would China's reaction be if this situation were reversed? If the U.S. was floating surveillance balloons over, I don't know, sensitive areas of China taking pictures, do you think China would have just simply said, okay, well, we're going to let the balloon continue to fly across and things like that? My point is that there should be some way to disable this this balloon. China says, well, okay, it's a, it's a civilian, you know, weather sort of thing. Well, okay, maybe... Maybe if you bring it down to the ground, you can verify that. Maybe this is exactly what it is, and maybe China is telling the truth, and this is exactly what has happened, and it was just, oh, some surveillance balloon that got caught up in upper air drafts, and next thing you know, it happens to be over a nuclear facility in Billings, Montana. Okay, that maybe that, that happened, but again, I think it's fair to be skeptical about that. Len in Wauwatosa. Len, you're on WTMJ. Yes, hi Jeff. Uh, hi, Lynn. So I just want to say that my, my my wife and I really really enjoy your show every day, and oh, I, I do have Thank to you. agree. I, I do have to agree that uh, 
you know, we're very concerned about this balloon floating over, especially nuclear facilities. And I made the point to your producer when he answered the phone here before you made the statement online that if this was a U.S. balloon flying over uh, China, it would have been on the ground by now. I'm not trying to second guess them, but I can almost imagine that this would already be on the ground and in their control because uh, I can't imagine uh, them allowing this to happen to them. Well, right, and then you can verify it. Now, now maybe maybe it is true. I'm skeptical, but that's just me by nature. I'm skeptical that this is just some civilian weather balloon that's drifted off course, but okay, I, I'm willing to accept that I could be wrong, but don't you go up, don't you bring it down, you investigate it, then you find out what this is, and if it turns out that's it, well, then you, you return it to where it came from in, in China. If, on the other hand, they've got cameras and it turns out that they're taking all sorts of pictures of U.S nuclear facilities maybe then you know that china's not being candid and then you you take that course but until you really get up there and see what it is you're not going to know one way or the other yeah you're absolutely right and, and i i think it's very hard to believe the chinese especially after the the covid cover-up you know the covid outbreak cover-up that they uh, kept under wraps uh, in their country we just can't always take them at their word Thanks for the call, and I appreciate it. And thank to you, thanks to you and your wife for listening. We're getting swamped with texts again. Jeff, they can refuel aircraft while flying. I'm sure they could have figured out a way to get the balloon down without hurting people. And if it was one of ours um, over China, my guess is it sure as heck would have been um, shut down. Jeff, the Air Force just tells them they need to land a balloon or it will be intercepted by the U.S. government. Um, if nothing, um, I think you need to be better safe than sorry. Jeff, it's almost hilarious but scary that so many in this country are just willing to accept that things are okay and that you know the government has things under control. I think we live in very scary times and I think China is the biggest threat to our country in the globe. Look, I, I, I appreciate you want to have a measured response. That's why I didn't start off this segment by saying, well, of course they should have had fighter planes out and they should have shot it down. Okay, I think that that's certainly something that you have to consider. But, I mean, call me a scaredy cat, but the idea that you've got a surveillance balloon that is floating over the continental United States taking pictures and sending data back, and we know it and we are allowing it to continue to happen, I think it's fair to say that that's... Um, that raises all sorts of questions. Jeff, can you imagine how fun it would be if Trump were still the president and trying to explain about the balloon? Well, um, I think if Trump were the president, my guess is my guess is that balloon, right or wrong, would probably not still be hovering over the Midwest. Um, Jeff, are we really going to trust China with everything? Jeff, how do we know this is actually China? Could be Russia using China as a cover. Um, Again, you don't want to overreact to this, but at the same time, I still, I refuse to believe that given all the things, I'm I'm just, I'm reading a book about, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, Operation Desert Storm and stuff. And I'm just, I'm constantly impressed by the technology that we have and the advances that we have with our military and things like that. It is really very impressive. And I guess I was just thinking last night about this as I was reading the story of Desert Storm. And I'm thinking, you know, 2023, and we, we can't, we can't bring down a, a spy balloon. 
um, without because we're afraid that it's going to cause all sorts of damage onto the ground and we can't verify what is actually in in this thing. I mean, really, I mean, give me give me a break about this. Jeff, remember Gary Powers over Russian airspace? Well, yeah, that's the story during the Cold War. And he, he was shot down. And again, I that was a that was a manned you know flight. This is, of course, you know, different. I'm just saying. Go. How long would Netanyahu let the balloon fly over Israel? Well, I, I think, you know, this is different than that. But, yeah, the answer is it would not have been happening, period. Uh, you want to hope that the government knows what it's doing, and I appreciate they don't want to escalate things. But it's China that's escalated stuff in the first place by having this surveillance balloon over nuclear sites in Montana. Jeff, the balloon or spy balloon or whatever should have been shot down as soon as it reached the U.S. airspace simply by the fact of what it is flying over. If the situation was reversed, China would have shot the balloon down immediately. I also don't buy the civilian research story. It's communist China. The government controls the research. I, I guess it is sort of just kind of troubling to me that foreign powers can fly surveillance balloons, whatever their intent is, over our airspace and over nuclear facilities, and we essentially do nothing, because that's pretty much what we're doing. We're doing nothing. All right, a number of people are saying, when are you talking about pro wrestling? That's in the start of the 2 o'clock hour. When we come back, for everybody that's upset about police brutality, I understand, but there's a much larger issue that's out there, namely, where are we going to get the police of the future? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Again, let me be Susie Mary Sunshine when it comes to the weather. Really bitter cold yesterday, cold today, cold tonight. But the truth is, it, it's getting better. I'm looking at the 10-day forecast now, and Connie was kind of alluding to it. Tomorrow, high supposed to be 37, and then um, it, it doesn't get colder. The high continues to pretty much go up. Monday, they're saying 39 into the 40s by um, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the upper to mid-30s for next weekend. So, and, and again, by next weekend, it's February 12th, and, and I believe me, I, I understand. As somebody who spent most of his life in Wisconsin, I understand that you can get snow and cold um, mid-February and in March. I mean, I, I get it, but it tends not to stay as long, and the daylight hours are increasing, so the bottom line is we're, we're getting closer and closer to spring and summer, so hang in there. Um, actually, I think in general, you know you're going to get some cold weather when winter rolls around, and I think this winter has been, in, in general terms, and it's easy to say, uh, but it's it's been relatively mild, knowing that you're going to get days like we've had over the last couple of days, but going to start to get warmer, and again, we're closer to spring, and that's a good thing. I okay. I, I I sent out a tweet about this, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But one of the things that that really really struck me was last Friday. It's now a week ago. We had this story involving. And it's just it's a weird story, but it involves the woman who steals the car 
with the baby in the back. And apparently it, it turns out the woman who stole the car was a friend of the baby's mother and a friend of the baby's cousin or something. They run into a, a house to drop something off. The woman jumps in the, the driver's seat of the car, drives off with the kid in the back. The child is not uh, the child is not properly secured. The woman ends up driving at a high rate of speed. She crosses over the center line, smashes head on into a, a minivan. And while I don't know that the police have said this, it's my understanding the minivan was stolen too. And everybody in the minivan gets out and runs away because they're driving a stolen car. The lady, the 31-year-old woman in the other stolen vehicle, she's in the hospital and now she's charged with a felony because, and this is the sad part of the story, of course, the child, the, the child dies in this. And I, I was just, I, I've been thinking about that story a lot, especially given like what happened last weekend, both in Milwaukee and in other cities all across the country, you had all sorts of people that were taking to the streets and they were protesting what happened in in Memphis, the the death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of the five Memphis police officers who were charged with a crime. And they were protesting police brutality. And I, I understand, I get it, I understand why they're protesting police brutality, but the truth is, there are so many more people. I mean, compare if you look at the number of people that die, whether it's in Milwaukee or Memphis or other cities, die because of reckless drivers and stolen cars and gun violence. There, there are so that is such statistically a much greater problem than instances where somebody dies at the hands of a police officer. And I'm not defending what the cops did. It was wrong. They need to be prosecuted. They need to be held accountable for this. But it's always amazing to me that this is what gets people out in the streets. Here, we're going to protest all over the country. But, you know, why aren't people taking to the streets and protesting senseless deaths that occur every day day after day due to irresponsible people stealing cars, driving without licenses, shooting 15-year-old girls on the street at 17th at Capitol at 9 o'clock at night. I mean, there, there seem to be groups that protest everything else. And, I mean, I understand part of the answer is because you have a certain group of people in this country who just don't like the cops, view the police as an occupying force, and take an example like this which is, again, a legitimate reason to be absolutely outraged, and then say, okay, we're now going to use this to try to make the point that all cops are bad or a majority of cops are bad, when you know there are so many statistically larger problems that are providing, are provoking and indicating, putting the safety of the general population in question. So here's the story I wanted to discuss with you. There's a new ABC poll. That's out um, asking about public confidence in police after the Tyree Nichols beating Um, the ABC poll says about 40 percent of Americans say they are very or somewhat confident that police are adequately trained to avoid using excessive force. Sixty percent believe that the police are not adequately trained to do that. For the first time since the ABC poll began asking the question, just under half of white Americans say they are confident about police avoiding excessive form of racial bias. Two-thirds of Hispanic Americans lack confidence in the police, and the numbers are similar if you talk to the black community. So there's 
all this skepticism that police are properly trained, that police are able to do their jobs, etc. When the truth of it is, and again, nothing I'm saying here is extended to condone what happened in Minneapolis with George Floyd or condone you know, what happened to Tyree Nichols in, in Memphis. Those were examples of police officers who were going rogue and they deserve anything that ends up happening to them. But here's the flip side of this. We need capital N, capital E, capital E, capital D. We need police officers. I mean, you, we need officers on the street investigating the 200-plus homicides that occurred in the city of Milwaukee. We need officers on the street investigating and catching. There's been eight people killed in January alone, at least eight, on the mean streets of Milwaukee by reckless drivers, driving stolen cars, etc. We need the police out there doing the job. And yet we have this, I think, attitude that some people have that, oh, the the police are terrible, there's excessive force, etc., Here's where the chickens, to borrow the cliche, are coming home to roost. Got a story involving the New York Police Department. The New York Police Department is seeing its largest staff exodus in decades. Uh, The New York City Police Department lost more staff members last year than it has in two decades. Um, 2021. They had 2,155 officers who left the force. Um, 2022, over 3,000 officers leaving the force through either retirements or resignations. That's a 42% increase. And the problem is... You know, to try to replace these officers who are leaving, you, you've got to go out, you've got to recruit folks, and, and they can't come close to recruiting enough new people, bringing them in to make up for the people who are saying, I, I'm done with this, I, I'm moving on. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I, I don't know how to ask this question other than to say, Who wants to be a police officer nowadays? And given the attitude that the general public has towards police officers, fueled in part by the actions and the excesses of whether it's the George Floyd cops or the cops in the Tyree Nichols case, but where are we going to get police officers and and who's going to do the job? And can you fault police officers nowadays who are close to retirement? who um, are deciding, you know what, maybe I'd like to stay another couple years, but it's not worth it, I'm, I'm leaving. Or alternatively, people who are police officers in urban areas who say, you know what, I, I'm done with this, I love being a law enforcement officer, but you know, maybe it's time to say, well, instead of working in the city of Chicago or the city of New York or the city of Milwaukee, maybe it's time to find some nice, quieter suburb somewhere or some place in rural America where I can do my job and maybe get paid as much, if not more. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I, I'm in no way, shape, or form am I defending a poli- rogue police officers and police brutality, and, and you see... 
examples of that with the George Floyd case or with the Tyree Nichols case. But that is, here's just the reality, that is a very, very small percentage of the men and women who protect and serve with law enforcement. And whenever stuff like that happens, you get the protests. I, I do raise the question of, gee, wouldn't it be nice to see people collectively outraged as well by the daily violence that occurs on, on the streets and the car thefts and the reckless driving and all those sorts of things. But the larger point here is cops are bailing. I mean, police officers, good police officers are saying enough is enough. You know, we, we don't want to do our job under this and in this under these circumstances in the environment. And my question is, seriously, where are the police officers of the future going to come from? Let's start with Jeff and Glendale. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. So I did 30 years at an agency in Milwaukee County. I decided to leave some money on the table, take a little bit of an early retirement, because I felt the risk was no longer worth the reward. And a number of my coworkers are taking the exact same route. And there aren't the people applying to be officers anymore. The numbers have dwindled significantly, and I don't know where they are going to get new officers from. Jeff, when you say the risk wasn't what worth the reward, what do you mean? You look at what's happened across the country, and as you had touched on, there's no excuse for what happened in Memphis, but we see uh, officers facing greater scrutiny, um, things that are certainly justified, but uh, we see officers charged, acquitted, and when you look at possibly facing charges in the criminal justice system, it's just not really worth it anymore. And I left about $500 a month on the table in my pension, but I just didn't feel as if the way sentiment had changed uh, towards mm-hmm. law enforcement in general, it was worth it to be an officer anymore and decided to take that retirement. You know, Jeff, I, I have I have several friends who over the years have been in, in the situation you're in, and that's the same thing. They, they like their job. They would have done it for a couple more years, but it, whether it was the, the public scrutiny that you go to make an arrest and instead of being on your side, everybody's pulling out cell phones and they're videotaping, they're videoing people, you know, hoping to find that the police are going to make a mistake. Plus the fact that it's just more dangerous out on the streets nowadays. Uh, I, I have several friends who said it just like you said, it's not worth the extra money. And they loved the job. They really loved the job. But it was like life is too short to to go through this on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I I wish agencies the best of luck in hiring new recruits, because now that we will see a a new wave of protests with Memphis, it it ebbs and flows and we're going to see the numbers drop again. Hey, thanks for the call, Jeff. I appreciate it. You know, plus, I think part of the problem that's going on now is because it is so hard to recruit people to do this. I think in some police departments, and I'm, I'm speaking generally, I'm not, I don't have a particular police department in mind, but in some police departments, you've seen the standards drop to get bodies that, that are, are coming in. And, and maybe it's somebody who 15 years ago would have gotten screened out in, in the, the screening process. Well, now they're getting hired because they, they need people. And that's, and that's that's not good either because that leads to uh, again some of the problems as well. I I don't know if the Memphis situation. I don't know if that's a training sort of thing. I don't know if they had just rogue cops that that were out there. Uh, but I, I do know that you're losing experienced 
officers who are are either leaving the profession or leaving some of the the urban areas and are looking for again i don't want to say a cushier thing i don't mean it like that but it's just it's like okay i i I don't need this meat grinder of where you know there's three homicides a a night that i have to deal with let's talk to steve in dane county steve you're on wtmj hi jeff uh so after 9-11 i had been a practicing cpa and I decided I want to serve and do something more meaningful to me. And uh, I became a police officer at a, one of the larger uh, departments in the state. And I graduated first in my academy class, and I had a good career for 12 years. And then I finally pulled the plug. Uh, there was no reason besides the fact that I, again, echo the sentiment that it was not worth the risk. And mentally, too, when you're uh, literally arresting the same people over and over again for felonies and they're out the next day on signature bonds, re- you know, committing yeah. the crimes again, out again. Uh, you, you just, you say, what am I doing this for? And, and God forbid the time you are in contact with one of these criminals again, there is a, a high use of force required and, uh, certain you know situations that no matter what the facts are and you're completely justified that won't matter the way it's seen in the uh, public eye for the vocal people that uh, do not like the police and so that happened several times in my department where the officers were completely justified and their lives were literally turned upside down and still have been uh through no fault of their own, just by doing their job and being put in a terrible situation. So there's a lot of good cops out there who are telling, you know, there's this, this is not worth it anymore, many of whom do have prior experience in other professions, and they say, well, I'm done. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. And uh, good luck finding people that want to do this job anymore that are as qualified as we were. So it's a terrible situation that's been set up for the public, and they will suffer for it. Yeah. Steve, th- thanks for the call. And I, I mean, I, I, I understand. I, I understand completely. And as I was saying to our, our first caller, Jeff, I, I, I know people who are in exactly that situation. That just they, they love the job. They were good, responsible police officers who just said, "Look, I just, it's, I, I'm not getting. I don't feel I'm getting support in the community." And so it's just time to move on. Jeff, I agree with everything you said. My husband and I were talking about this yesterday. Not only police, but teachers as well. It goes back to no respect for these uh, professionals, no consequences for those causing uh, problems, and no support for those professionals from their administrators. Um, Yes, no one deserves to be beaten by police. But, you know, occasionally... What's happened is the person has instigated the problem as well. Jeff, my college roommate and I both retired early because of the things you're talking about in our professions. He was a policeman. I was a teacher. It got to the point where it wasn't worth it for either one of us. So uh, don't the takeaway from this segment isn't, gee, you know, we should turn our back on police brutality. No. That's not it at all. We need to be appropriately outraged when you see these examples of it. And it's fair to say, okay, was it training? Was it bad cops? But but here's the problem. Every time we try to say, okay, this is all the police officers that are out there, we chase good cops off. 
and it becomes more and more difficult to replace them. And when your car is broken into, your car is stolen, somebody you know is the victim of a hit-and-run accident, you're held up at gunpoint, or Lord forbid you're shot at or something like that, you know, you want police officers to be there when you call, and we got to make sure that that's going to continue to happen. Okay, I'm late for the news, but one one more text on this. Jeff, you hit the nail on the head. There should be so much more outrage for the stuff that's going on on the streets of Milwaukee than these statistically minute incidents involving police. I'm a police officer, and I'm absolutely sick of it. With all the times drivers I've stopped are challenging me to see what they can get away with and how far I will go. And I'm sure that there is this element to that. You know, you they make the traffic stop. Okay, the camera comes out, and then let's try to push the cop. Let's try to see, instead of just simply saying, officer, what did I do? Okay, here's my driver's license. Here's my registration. And no, officer, when you try to pull me over, I'm not going to go 90 miles an hour run through a red light i'm going to pull over i'm going to give you my license i'm going to give you my registration here if you got to write me a ticket write me a ticket you know how how tough is that but of course if you talk to cops that's not what's going on I sent a note to one of my very closest friends. I was listening to Connie's report, and they talked about this 28-year-old guy in Burlington who's been charged with posting this this threat to the Burlington area schools on social media Uh, about a week or two ago. Prosecutors say he was expelled from the district 10 years ago. He gets expelled from school 10 years ago, and he's, he's now... You know, putting out these threats. I mean, this is somebody who desperately needs to get on with his life. Anyhow, the guy's name is Kyle Johnson. That happens to be my very, very close friend. That, that's his older brother's name. I said, huh, I assume that this is, I assume this is not our Kyle Johnson. And I, right, the, the ages don't work out, uh, but it's kind of like, huh, that's interesting. That's what happens sometimes when you have those relatively common names. All right, freeze frame, freeze frame. What is he talking about? Here's the deal. The One of the reasons that we know as much as we know about the Tyree Nichols beating in Memphis is because in Memphis, they have surveillance cameras all over the the city. Um, They have about 2,100 publicly installed cameras placed on, on street lights and on the sides of buildings all over the area. Then there's also like private security you know, cameras as well that private companies have. But there's 2,100 of these cameras that, again, are, are publicly installed cameras. And what happens is um, the officers periodically monitor video feeds. Um, and, and they do this because... If they get if they get a tip that there's something you know going on and officers are on the way, they can pull up they, they can pull up the films from where the these cameras are. Also, my understanding at least is that the the cameras the the surveillance video even if it's not actively monitored twenty four seven, what happens is it's kept for a while. So if there is an incident, they can go back and they can say, okay, let's pull up. There was something that happened at ten o'clock. Thursday night, let's go pull up the video from this camera that was focused on this particular intersection at 10 o'clock on Thursday night, and, and you can see it. Now, in the Memphis, the case of the Memphis officers, some of that video we saw was from the, the body cameras that the officers were wearing. But the the better 
by say when I say better, I mean the the film, the video that had that captured that better captured in this case the the example of excessive police force. Those came from some of these public cameras that, that were out there because they I mean the the police body cameras first of all they can they're subject to being shut off and turned on, but also you've got the officers that are running they're close up the these cameras that are on light poles or whatever they're they're a ways away. And, you know, they have, they're, they're fixed. So you, you can see the intersections, you can see the street or whatever. This, it's really a godsend to some in law enforcement. But this is extremely controversial. In Chicago, for example, there are over 30,000 cameras, public cameras, publicly installed cameras. So police authorities or whatever can go back and they can recreate stuff oh there was a shooting that occurred on 19th and clark or whatever okay fine we know the approximate time of the shooting was eight o'clock at night we can go back we can look at this film and we can see you know maybe we'll be able to get a clue as to what happened maybe we'll be able to identify people so this is it's a trend but it is a controversial trend as well because for example the the ACLU, our friends at the ACLU, have huge concerns about civil rights and civil liberties um, infringement. And the argument is, hey, this is this is big brother that, that's out there, and you're on candid camera all the time, and you are infringing on people's rights. Should you be able to walk down a public street and not have the government necessarily be, if not actively surveilling you, the government is able to go back and to see, you know, to recreate your movements. Let's look at everything that happened from 7 to 9 o'clock on this section of Wisconsin Avenue. Oh, we've got the cameras up there. There we can see. And look, that person looks familiar. Oh, that's so-and-so. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, there's a couple people who said, well, they had these cameras in Memphis, and it didn't stop the police from using excessive force. My answer would be, no, it didn't stop it, but it made it a heck of a lot easier to hold those officers accountable than if there hadn't been cameras in the first place or if all you had to rely on was the officers' body cameras. So with that lead-in, here's my question. The ACLU says, oh, we shouldn't be putting these cameras up all over. My response is, nuts to that. I, I think Public places, I think if you want to talk about investments in trying to get a handle on crime, I think putting cameras all over the city, all over the area where you've got a crime issue, and and having them roll tape, I think that's a great idea. And if I'm walking down the street, if I'm coming back, I don't know, I've gone out to, to eat and I've my, I parked my car three or four blocks away, and I'm walking down Wisconsin Avenue or Wells Street to go to my car or whatever. And a surveillance camera. I happen to be show. I show up on a surveillance camera. If my wife and I are walking, I don't care. That doesn't doesn't bother me. But if that helps identify criminals, and even if it doesn't deter criminals, if it helps lead to the prosecution of criminals, I say why not? I'd put cameras up all over. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. All right, in Memphis, they've got about twenty one hundred public installed cameras 
all throughout the city on lampposts and the sides of buildings, etc., to, to monitor things. That's why that's where some of the footage that we saw um, for the in the f- from the, the Memphis police beating that that's where it, it came from in the Tyree Nichols stuff. It, it wasn't the police body cameras; there was some of that, but it was the again the the, the cameras that were up there. The ACLU is objecting to this. I, I think. I think that what we need to do in Milwaukee and what communities all across the country need to be doing is going this route. Let's put more cameras up there. Um, the studies, to be honest with you, are mixed as whether as to whether it deters violent crime or not. They, they do seem to indicate that it does deter, like, property theft and things like that. It's the same reason why you've got the ring doorbells or you've got the security cameras up there on your porches. It's, it's a good thing. And this idea that, oh, Big Brother is watching, well, I got nothing to hide from Big Brother. 855-616-1620, Chuck in Appleton. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. More cameras are better than fewer cameras. People want to be safe. The reason for cameras is for public safety. It may deter crime, and it will help capture criminals. Attitudes like anything that uh, reduces the ability to enforce laws is what helps drive police away from the profession also. So mm-hmm. what is the ACLU thinking? They want to be able to uh, have people commit crime without getting caught? They don't want to deter crime? What is their reason? It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, no, th- thanks for call, Chuck. I mean, the argument is it, it's from a civil civil liberty standpoint, you've got the, the government that is now surveilling people. Well, the, the, look, here, here's the deal. This is a it's a public space. I mean, I'm not talking about like putting a camera up that, that's focused on your your bedroom window, but I, I'm talking about yes, if you've got if you've got an intersection, for example, um, and or you've got let, let's I would start with the highest crime areas and, and then move from there. But because I believe you you go where you know most of the problems are now in a perfect world you could put the cameras up all over but the truth is we know where the highest crime areas are and that's by the way one of the other things that the ACLU gets upset about well these tend to be in more economically depressed or you know more um, minority ma- majority minority areas oh well okay well if it's that where if that's where it is it's because that's where the crime is i would be objective about it you know but i would say okay let's figure out where where is the crime? Where are the majority of the homicides? Where are the majority of the car thefts? Where are the majority of the carjackings? Where are the majority of the robberies? And you bet I'd be putting up cameras on street lights all over. And the idea is again, if it's not a deterrent, although you put the word out, hey, you know, there, there's street there's street there's cameras up all over. So if you decide that you're going to go beat up that 65-year-old lady who's walking down the street and steal her purse and take her groceries and try to, you know, get into her car, well, there's a chance that you're going to be captured on, on camera. Maybe that deters you, but if nothing else, it, it it helps go back and get a description of the bad guys. And it, it, look, if this is filming a public street, I guess I just assume for example, that when, when I'm out in public, I, I assume that you know there, there's something that's watching me somewhere. When I walk into a mall, I assume that there's cameras in different places. You know, you go into a casino, there's cameras in different places. As long as I'm on a public street, I, I am assuming that if somebody wants to watch my activities, they'll be able to do it. And you know what? I don't have a problem with it because I'm not doing anything that I'm afraid to be um, watched. Uh, Jeff, the... Let's see. Um, 
these cameras are going to help the ACLU, aren't you? Hypothetically, enough cameras spaced a certain distance from each other on a highway and streets can help give out reckless drivers and speeding tickets also. Yeah, there's a huge issue with red light cameras. In Wisconsin, red light cameras, you know, the things that give tickets um, without a police officer being there. I, I am a fan. I'm a supporter of it. And, and I would, if I were the legislature, I would vote to allow at least a limited rollout of red light cameras. But that's not even what this is. I mean, this is just, these are cameras that you would you would not use directly to you know prove a violation of the law, but they would be something that would be out there to try to, uh, again, demonstrate that demonstrate that there, there's evidence there. Jeff, I couldn't disagree with you more on the camera issue. If the people in charge were good people, they would enforce law and order, and there would no be no need for a surveillance state. Sorry, I don't understand. I I just I yeah, I guess I, I I don't know about a surveillance state. I mean, here's the truth of the matter: all of us that have cell phones, we are in the surveillance state. I mean, <laughs> you know, you you log on through your internet account. People know the different sites. You go order something on the internet, and then you're going to be bombarded with all sorts of ads for similar types of things. But the reality is, we live in a surveillance state at this point in time. But I guess my feeling is, if it can help get some bad guys off the street. I'm all in favor of it. I am so glad to have you spending your Friday afternoon with me. We've, we've got a fun 2 o'clock hour coming up. We're, we've got Pop Culture Corner, of course, at 2.30. And then a fun topic based on professional wrestling, of, of all things. And if you're a regular listener, you, you probably heard some of the lead-in before, but there's we're, we're going to talk pro wrestling in the first half of the 2 o'clock hour. Paul Ryan, back in the news. Now, Paul Ryan has a new book that's coming out, so he's starting to, to do um, some uh, public uh, appearances and things like that. But th- there's no question that, that Paul Ryan... He's not in the Donald Trump camp. Uh, he's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it is that he's doubling down on his belief that former President Donald Trump is the wrong choice for Republicans in 2024, saying he will not support Trump if he becomes the Republican nominee for president. There are too many people like me in the Republican Party who would not support him if he were the nominee, and that's why I don't think he'll be the nominee because everyone knows we'll lose the election if we nominate this guy again. I. And again, I know some of you disagree with me on this, but I, I stand by it. I don't think Trump even makes it to the primaries. And I, I will, I, I'm willing to eat a, a huge dose of I told you so, but I think what's going to happen, he, he can read the polls as well as anybody. And, and I think when you get the serious polls that are out there, he's going to be running behind some of the other candidates. He's already having trouble raising money. You've got all the other issues that are going on involving the, the, the investigations and stuff. And I, I still predict that I don't know exactly what his out is going to be. Maybe it's going to be health. Maybe it's going to be, I don't want to put my family through this, whatever. But I think once he comes to the conclusion that he cannot win again, and he will come to that conclusion, I think I think he begs off. Time will tell. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back after the top of the hour news, I want to talk about professional wrestling. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. We're going to have a little bit of fun this hour of the program. So if you're looking for extensive political commentary, that, that we'll, we'll save that. We'll be back to that on, on Monday. I want to talk about pro wrestling for a minute. And, and here, here's kind of the, the background on this. I admit I grew up as a wrestling fan. Now, I come by it honestly, and I've told this story before, so bear with me if, you, if you've heard it. My, my grandmother, my dad's mother, um, she was a huge pro wrestling fan. My parents were born in Maryland, and we moved out. I was born in Baltimore. We moved out here when I was like seven or eight years old. But I can remember. Um, some of my earliest memories are like my parents would go out on Saturday nights and what they would do is they would take me over to my grandparents' house and they lived in a, a little row house in, in, in Baltimore and it would be Saturday nights and my grandmother, we would, and my grandfather and I would sit around and we'd like eat dinner on TV trays. So I'm, I'm probably, you know, five or six or seven and my grandmother would watch professional wrestling um and and on the black and white tv and you know so we'd sit there on the tv trays and we did and she'd to my grandmother's dying day she never accepted the fact that the results were predetermined that that it was you know fake and when i say wrestling is fake i mean that the falls these people are taking are are very very real but i mean that that they're playing characters and that the results are predetermined and things like that and my grandmother would would cheer etc and so i come at it naturally so we moved to milwaukee and i started Watching, you know, the American Wrestling Association, AWA, when it used to be on Channel 18 and Channel 24, and it was on Saturdays and Sundays. And then when I was in high school, we'd, we'd go down to, it's now the Milwaukee Theater, but at the time it was the Milwaukee Auditorium, and, and you'd see wrestling matches. And we'd, we'd go from time to time, and then ultimately, you know, you'd have the Crusher and the Bruiser and Baron Von Raschke and all those characters, and you'd watch TV. My grandmother, after my grandfather died, came out and lived with us, and, and she, she just lived for those those shows and and you you could not tell her that the results were predetermined or anything she just didn't want to hear any of that and then the AWA kind of folded and then you had the Hulk Hogan years and things like that and and I can remember going to you know, like some of those matches now I sort of I don't know it's fair to say outgrew it but I, I don't I don't follow professional wrestling anymore, but I remember the 70s and the 80s and and the 90s and a lot of the the people that were were there. And one of the things that I have noticed is that you have professional wrestlers and you have older people, but you rarely have older wrestlers that are alive. The the number of, of people who were like superstars and stuff during the 70s and 80s who have passed away, it's, it's just staggering. And I think part of it is just the the wear and tear that the activity has on your body and part of it is just kind of the lifestyle of being on the road and there's a lot of drugs and there's a lot of alcohol and there's a lot of painkillers and things like that it's not a sport that tends to lead, lend itself to to longevity and i was thinking about that again today the announcement is that Lanny Poffo who if you were a fan of the WWF, now it's the WWE, in the mid-1980s. You, you remember Lanny Poffo, probably. He was, he was the brother of Randy Macho Man Savage. Uh, and of course, Macho Man Savage, huge, just a, a huge star who, you know, kind of transcended just wrestling. He did movies, you know, he was the guy, the spokesperson for Slim Jims, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, he was the younger brother of, 
of Randy Macho Man Savage, whose name was Randy Poffo, and their dad was a wrestler, Angelo Poffo. Anyhow, Lanny Poffo passed away this week at the age of 68. Um, Again, way too young. His brother... Um, again, Macho Man Savage, you know, Randy Poffo, he died in 2011 at the age of 58. And it's just another one of these examples. Um, uh, Lanny Poffo, he, he, he used his own name and then he was a character called the Genius in the late 80s when he became a bad guy and stuff. But he was part of that, that era of just when, when wrestling was really something that started to, to go into the mainstream. And it wasn't just, I don't know, like high school guys who were watching it, but it really be- became this sort of mainstream thing. And I want to take a walk down memory lane in this segment of the program, um, given the passing of, of Lanny Poffo, because my guess is that you, you might be like me, and you might have grown up on the AWA and then grown up with Vince McMahon's WWF, now WWE, and the Hulk Hogan characters and the Randy Macho Man Savage characters and the bad guys and stuff. Now, it's, it's a different age nowadays. You don't have all the different territories and things. But I freely admit, um, and maybe this says a lot about the, the guy I turned out to be, but I loved watching pro wrestling you know, back in the day. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, were you a pro wrestling fan growing up, and, and who was it? Who was it that you just really loved to either love to hate, that, that bad guy that you absolutely loved, or the good guy that you just wanted to be like him? 855-616-1620. Let's take a walk down memory lane, and let's talk pro wrestling for one segment. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Be humble when victorious. Be noble in defeat. Be there when your neighbor hasn't got enough to eat. Try to love your enemies and always be aware that in the Super Bowl of life, the tortoise beats the hare. <laughs> That's... That is Lanny Poffo. When he first came to the WW then F, he, he'd read poems that were on the back of Frisbees, and he'd throw the Frisbees out to the crowd. 855-616-1620. We're talking about... We're talking about pro wrestling from the 70s and 80s. If you're like me, you grew up watching the stuff. Who is the best? Todd in Watertown. Todd, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, howdy, Jeff. Uh, boy, what a, what a fun topic. Um, but uh, me and my sister... Um, I was at like in 1980, um, I was 15 and she was 10. And we'd watch every Saturday, AWA on Channel 18. And right. uh, actually, I don't you remember back then, you know, it's kind of when the stenciling on shirts came out. So I, I went down to this local place and I got her a little shirt that said uh, the Claw Master on the back. And I was a crusher. So <laughs> we would, we would, so you answer some, you know, at that time I was like six to one. My sister's probably five foot. So she'd put the uh, the claw on my face, and I'd fall to the ground, and we'd wrestle around, and we watched it religiously every Saturday morning. It was so much fun. It it was that time. Thank, thanks for call. Yeah, that's the I have. My 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 fact my, my brother in law Dave went to one of these autograph signing things and he got me a, a signed autograph, a personalized autograph from Baron von Roschke, who was actually before he started wrestling, he was a gym teacher in Minneapolis. Um but you know, and, and he would wrestle started out wrestling to make a little bit of extra money. But I, I still I had that, you know, when we were at our old offices, I had that 
on, on my cube. I, I'm not sure how people would feel if I put that up on my desk now, but it was, I, I just used to love to watch that. Let's talk to Dan in Reedsburg. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, sir. So back Hi, in its heyday, which was like, the heyday I would say was the 80s, and I didn't mm-hmm. get into it at the time, but only in recent years have I really come to appreciate all of the absolute wit, dedication, and entertainment that those guys were providing. I'm not the expert, but I got to say, I mean, nobody tops the macho man Randy Savage <laughs> with his wit, dedication, and energy. And, of course, these guys do all go too soon. They die too soon. But uh, I would posit that in their short lives, they still live more life than most of us do in our lives. They, they, they live, like, four times than we do. So Yeah. No, yeah. Dan, thank, thanks. Macho no, man. you're right. No, thanks for the call. No, Macho Man. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's – I mean, it's look, it's a tough lifestyle. I mean, I don't know about now, but they, you're on the road all the time. And, you know, when we, when we say – I mean, I think they they always buck up at the, the term fake because there are characters, but those falls, those flips, the the injuries that they have, they're they're incredible athletes. They really are, and I mean, I think that ends up taking its toll on on people. And so then, what ends up happening is a lot of the wrestlers they you know they they start self medicating, and you got all the injuries and stuff. But it's it's just an it's an amazing thing. Let's talk to Jay in Racine. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm good. Did you grow up as a fan of wrestling? I, yes, yes. I I grew up. I had a relative that was always watching the AWA on <laughs> Saturday night and Sunday morning with the Crusher and Dick yeah. the Bruiser and everything. And actually, I got a story involves both my parents. My dad used to work for the Racine Journal Times, and he used to get these free tickets to go and watch wrestling up in Milwaukee. Well, one time when Dick the Bruiser was wrestling, they had ringside tickets, and my mom, she didn't like Dick the Bruiser for some reason. She was calling him a fat jerk and a bum and all this and just yelling all this stuff, and he kept looking at her. And, you know, and, and of course, this was the K-Save area where they acted like, you know, their character. And he was right. just looking at him menacingly, and right after the match, he jumped over the rope, and he pulls in front of her, going, <laughs> and my dad says, my mom just shut her mouth and didn't say anything the rest of the night. She was just scared. She was scared that, you know, of course, the security guards played it up, and they rushed to the scene like they were going to hold them back. But, yeah, he, he just acted like he was going to, like, jump on her, and, and she did not say a word the rest of the night. That, that, what a great story. Thanks thanks for the call. Jeff, I'm 53. My dad passed in 1983, but some of my best memories are of him getting me tickets to see what he called the phony balonies at the Mecca. He would then visit a few local downtown bars or get a racing form from the paper stand on 3rd and Wisconsin before picking me up. Loved seeing Jerry Blackwell and Buck Rock and Roll Zumhoff. That's from Lou in West Dallas. Jeff, Jake the Milkman just recently died. He was 85. He was a jobber. Those guys that... Those were the guys who were always kind of the cannon fodder on the TV shows. You know, they'd come out, and the, the stars would always beat them. You know, Kenny J was one of those guys. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, the Crusher, yeah, every, I mean, the Crusher was from Milwaukee. No question about, you know, no question about that. Jeff, superstar Billy Graham, that worked for me. Jeff, I absolutely loved, loved, loved pro wrestling growing up. I went to lots of AWA matches at the auditorium at the arena. Loved Mad Dog Vashon and Baron Von Roschke. Everything I've always heard about Mad Dog Vashon um, is that he was genuinely crazy. Uh, there's a story that they, they tell about how they're on this, like, private plane, and he's just trying to open up the, the door. I'm happy to say that the Baron is alive and well at the age of 82. Fred in Random Lake. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, I got hey, into it with my grandmother. She used to uh, sit in front of her TV. In front of her TV, and uh, she uh, just goes crazy. She was just crazy, so I got hooked on it too. And my kids, they all got hooked on professional wrestling. Their favorites, uh, you know, like uh, and my grandson. Uh, I got him. We went to some of the smaller wrestling matches up in Green Bay and Oshkosh, and you know wherever they played around here in the last decade or so. And I met Baron Von Roschke finally who is one of my favorite evil guys, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, had a chance to shake hands with him and talk with him about his career and stuff like that. And my grandson says, he was a professional wrestler? He says, yeah, he's going to be on the stage tonight. And it was great. And he's hooked on professional wrestling, too. So, yeah, and, you know, it, it's, it's funny that thing. we show him. I says, watch how these guys are going to do without getting hurt, and it's going to look like they're killed each other. You know, I says, watch. It is actually poetry in motion how they do it. It, it is. You know, no, th- thanks for the call. They... No, it is. No, thanks for the call for it. No, you're you're right. And th- these are these are incredible athletes. And you look and you see these these really big guys that are doing these backflips and jumping off the top rope, and you know they're they're landing that that mat they land on. I mean that's that's just a that's plywood. I mean it, it's not like it's something that's soft and and stuff. There's you know, it, there's all sorts of bumps and bruises. Jeff, I can totally relate to when you, you described growing up and watching wrestling. Same here. My favorite of the day was the Crusher. The one I loved, uh, also loved Blackjack, Lanza, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yeah, Bobby the Brain Heenan, probably the greatest manager of all time. It was fun as a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s. I no longer follow it either. But, yeah, but it was it was this. Uh, that was it. Jeff, I saw Leaping Lanny Poffo wrestle at the Mecca Arena back in 1985. King Kong Bundy and Andre the Giant was a main event. Great memories from the 10-year-old me. That's, that's I think, the, the element of that. Sam in Clintonville. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, I used to watch AWA in the early 70s. Then I joined the service, and then it was the NWA in Virginia. Then yep. WWF later on. Yep. And I was yep. with and, and, uh, Jim Brunzel. Right. Um, th- thanks to I Appreciate it. Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne. They were the, the high flyers. And, of course, the AWA was owned by Greg Gagne's father, Vern Gagne, until they got essentially Vince McMahon kind of took over the whole wrestling world. But it was, it's, it's one of those things that was just uh, amazing. Let's talk to Mike. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, kind of like you, I kind of grew up on the AWA stuff, the Crusher and the Bruiser. and But uh, I kind of lost touch with it. Um, and in the 80s, I worked uh, at the Sentinel Sports Show. And there happened to be the, one of the nights of the sports show at the arena. This was at the height of Hulkamania. Uh, uh-huh. Hulk Hogan uh, and the WWF guys at the time. And 
I, I was able to get down. The people from the, the Mecca were able to get me right down by the uh, ring for the Hulk Hogan match. And I could not imagine a more fervent crowd at, you know, oh, at yeah. any rock concert or any sports game. The oh, people, yeah. were, little old ladies were screaming at the top of their lungs. Teenagers. Oh, yeah. multi- it was just such an amazing environment to be in. I will never, ever forget it. Yeah, I mean, thanks for the call, Mike. I appreciate it. Incredibly entertaining. And it was, a, and that was the time, you know, Hulk Hogan, when he really made it big, and then you had Cindy Lauper, who did the whole rock and wrestling show, and it led to the WrestleManias and Mr. T and all the crossovers. And, and that, I think that was probably the, the second golden age of wrestling. But it was, I, I, I just, I always, it seems to me like once every couple of weeks you pick up the story and you see somebody who was a star back then. And Lanny Poffo wasn't the star that his, his brother was, but he, he still he made a living as a professional wrestler. And it was just such a part of so many people's lives. And I think it's so, so funny to hear these stories. Yeah, my grandmother. It was my grandmother, too. You know, my grandmother, my grandfather. This is what we did. It was a, it was kind of a family thing. And I know that sounds weird. But it, it brought it kind of brought people together. I mean, there's just no question of, about it. And and back back then, before before the Al Gore invented the internet, before there was cable TV and stuff like that, this was it was just big on the UHF channels and Channel 18 and Channel 24. And I dare say some of those wrestling programs that they had, those were probably some of the highest rated programs in Milwaukee TV and and all throughout the area because. Everybody wanted to watch him. Lanny Poffo, brother of Macho Man, Randy Savage, dying at the age of 68, sail on. Back with more in just a minute. You talk of bribes, corruption, and police brutality. It paints an ugly picture and reflects on you and me. You condemn the whole police force for what one man does alone. If there is a perfect man among you, let him cast a righteous stone. Remember this, cause while you're putting down the man in blue, the next ungrateful life he saves may very well be you. Now my testimonial is coming to an end. I hope that it reminds you, the policeman is your friend. Well, this this stinks. A listener just told me, and speaking about wrestling, we were talking about Lanny Poffo passing away. Kenny J, who, of course, was one of the ultimate jobbers. If you grew up watching AWA wrestling, you know, Kenny J was one of those guys they trotted out, and he, he'd set up the ring, but he also like lost almost all his, his matches. Um, he passed away yesterday as well. Kenny J. Benkowski dies at the age of 85 yesterday as well. Well, it happens in three, so Lanny Poffo and Kenny J, who's next? Well, I'll tell you what is next. Pop Culture Corner, right around the corner. Don't go anywhere. Gather round, all. It's time for Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Time to put aside the heavy lifting and have a good time at the old National Bank talking text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank, get old. Now, here's Jeff Wagner. Well... It is that time of the week. It's Pop Culture Corner Time, brought to you by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. 
It's almost the weekend, and what better way to celebrate with Palermo's delicious frozen pizzas. Made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years, Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. All right, so Pop Culture Corner this week. Let's get right to it. The stories come from the world of sports. Last night, I was watching, I ended up, I'd rarely watch an entire basketball game on TV because I I feel a lot of times all you got to do is watch the the fourth quarter. But for for some reason, I started watching, it was on late last night, I started watching the Bucks clippers game and ended up watching almost all that stayed up until the end. And, you know, the Bucks were behind nine points at halftime, 21 points in the third quarter, and came back and, and won by one point. It was a genuinely exciting game. But what was really amazing about watching the game was watching Giannis take over. I think he scored 52, 54 points. I'm not sure what, but he was just incredible. He was incredible driving to the basket and layups and dunks. He was shooting the ball from 10 feet. He made a couple three-pointers. It was just, and he made most of his free throws and uh, 19 or 20 rebounds on top of it. I mean, he was a a one-man gang when it came to that, and there was a point in time where I think he pretty much single-handedly kept that buck, the Bucks in the game. And I was watching this, and I was saying, this guy is absolutely uh, amazing. And if he's not this year's most valuable player, I, I don't know who is going to be. And then, of course, we've got the stories we've been telling you about all day. LeBron James is poised to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. He's going to do it sometime soon he's 60 some points away so it'll either be the matter of fact the bucks play the lakers um three games from now for the lakers and and it could it could be that you know it'll the bucks will be playing him but he's going to do it at some point in time but lebron james is just an incredible player as well but I, i was thinking back just watching Giannis last night about how how great this guy is and i i thought Given the fact that you've got the Super Bowl coming up, given the fact that we've got spring training, pitchers and catchers going to be reporting in the next, you know, two weeks or so, yeah, it's it's just an exciting time for sports. And I thought we'd do a pop culture corner topic related to sports. Here is my question: the greatest athlete that you ever saw in person, not on television, but the, the caveat is you had to have seen them. In person, and it can come from, I mean, I don't care what the sport is, it can come from auto racing or baseball or football or boxing or basketball or whatever, but you had to see them perform in person. 855-616-1620, that is the old National Bank talk and text line, and since we are, of course, presented by Palermo's Pizza, we have a Palermo's Pizza prize package to give away one of our callers in the exclusive discretion of my producer, Charlie. I do not get a say in this. We'll get our Palermo's Pizza prize package, which is a certificate good for two Palermo's pizzas and this really highly sought after Palermo's Pizza pizza wheel cutter and a bunch of other stuff as well. 855-616-1620. Back with your nominees, the best athlete that you ever saw in person. And if they're better than Giannis, I'm going to want to have you defend that. 855-616-1620. We'll take your calls and texts in just a moment. Pop culture time. Now back to take your calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Oh, one coming back. Pujols slide drive deep left field. This ball is gone. That, by the way, is the my 
producer Charlie's contribution to the show. He is a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan, but I appreciate his work nonetheless, and that's Albert Pujols. We're talking about Pop Culture Corner. The performance I watched yesterday from Giannis was just incredible. What's the best athlete that you have ever seen in person? Let's start with uh, let's start with Dell in West Dallas. Dell, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <clears throat> um, I would say it's Giannis for me. Okay. Um, Tell me why. Yeah, yeah. Well, my old thing when, when I look at basketball, and I've had a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I think if you take into account how valuable um, somebody with a seven-and-a-half-foot wingspan can be on defense, and I, I think if you value defense as much as offense, um, Giannis is easily one of the best players that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, granted, yeah. I never got to see Jordan play in person. I never got to see Kobe play in person. Um, and, and Le- you know, LeBron's up there too. But right. I think if you look at a player as far as a, you know, you look at the whole package, I think where Giannis excels over some of those other players is how uh, how hard he plays on defense. And yeah. no, thank, no, no, thanks for, no, I get it. Thanks for calling. I'm sorry, I, wanted, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to get to a bunch of calls. I I saw Jordan play in his heyday, and I guess if I had to answer this, I, I'd still say Jordan because I think he was such a complete player. But I'm going to say this. I, I really I saw that last night. For several years, Giannis was a great player, but I would describe somewhat one-dimensional. I, I mean, he he's developed – He's developing a three-point shot. He's developed that that ten-foot shot, and he's just awesome around the uh, around the the basket. And he's only what twenty-six years old. Um, I think. Do do I think he's a greater player than Jordan was in his heyday? No. Do I think he can be? If he continues this development, absolutely, because Jordan was just such a complete basketball player, and, and I think Giannis is as well, and I think they've got the same mentality. It, it's I, I hope Milwaukee Bucks fans appreciate just how special he is. There's no question about it. Let's talk to Jack in Elkhorn. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I, I'm well, Hi. thank you. My Greatest goodness. player you ever saw? The Hammer. Hank Aaron. Okay. I saw him as a Brave when I was a young tyke, and I saw him when he came back to the Braves. When he came back to the Brewers. Yeah. Um, and Hank, thank, thanks for calling, Jack. I appreciate it. I mean, Hank Aaron, I... I, I didn't. I was too young for the Brave stuff, but I certainly watched him on TV and stuff in in the '60s during his heyday. And I can remember. Now he came back to the Brewers. It, it, the last two years of his career, he was kind of at the end at the end of the road there. But there, there's no question. I think if you talk to a lot of knowledgeable baseball people, they'll tell you that Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, maybe one or two others. Just I, I mean, clearly that. The, the greatest of all times. Let's talk to Mike in Pewaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. My, you're, uh, it's J.J. Watt for me. Really? Okay. And Great it's, guy. It's the, in person, it's, it's the in person for me. Before he was drafted, we worked out at the same strength and agility gym, and I barely got a workout in just watching him. He's unbelievable. Right. right. 
Right. No, I, Mike, thanks for calling. There's no question. Um, of course, in a local guy from, from Pewaukee who had just such a an incredible career. And you wonder, I mean, you actually wonder whether or not he, I, I, always, I always love athletes that leave the stage maybe a year too early as opposed to staying a year too late. And I know that he's announced that he's, he's retiring. You wonder whether he could have gotten another year or two um, out of it. Let's talk to Lisa in Cedar Grove. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Lisa. I Okay, so I have kind of a different answer. Um, it's not football, basketball, or baseball, but for me it was um, a gymnast, um, Simone Biles. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I went to the Gold Over America tour, and watching her, what she can do, you know, is just absolutely amazing. Even my husband was just stunned. Um it's amazing what what she can do. So yeah, I'm going with definitely Simone Biles. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Oh, oh, Lisa. No, let me tell you about this. My my late wife was a huge fan of women's figure skating and women's gymnastics, and I can remember okay. we went to. It was the. It was before the Olympics. It was like I. It was. It was like the U.S. trials, and I, I want to say it was. 26 it might have been 2014 I, I forget exactly but they were in uh, mm-hmm. they were in California and and we went there and just saw all the gymnasts and interesting that was kind of when she was starting her career before she really exploded and um, yes. she actually she was on a plane flight on the way back it was um uh, it oh, was north funny. of San Diego. I'm drawing a blank on what the city was. Um, but but we were on yeah. the, the flights getting back. It was like everybody was flying from California to Minneapolis, and she was on our flight. Mm-hmm. And we went up. We got our autograph. Oh, they're, they're all so tiny. They're you know they're they're all so tiny. Yes. But she was she was just yes. wonderful and incredibly talented. And and yeah, I mean, just these gymnasts. You, you watch the moves they do. It's yeah. amazing. Yes, and I was a gymnast myself for like 10 years. So for me, it was really special to see, you know, them perform and everything. And, you know, I know she has a case of the twisties now, um, which right. most people don't know what that is. It's where you don't realize where you are in the air and everything. And um, I know she's gotten some scrutiny about that, but now she's an advocate for mental health and everything. And I just think that she's just a fabulous person and athlete. She- she was tremendous. Lisa, um, that, 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 thank you for taking me down memory lane. You are the winner, according to my producer, Charlie, of our Palermo's Pizza Prize Package. So yes. it's, you know, it's, I need a new pizza cutter. <laughs> all right. Well, it's really, it's a cool pizza cutter. I, they haven't given me one, you know, I don't, so you're one step ahead of me. Lisa, <laughs> thanks for listening and thanks for participating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Simone Biles and I, she was just delightful and I, 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 I remember, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to now, it's driving me crazy as to what city we were in. It was north of, north of, uh, north of San Francisco. Oh, I'll, I'll draw, I'll, it'll come to me. But she was just so sweet. We, it was, uh, like I say, my, my late wife just loved that stuff and knew all the, knew all the gymnasts and we'd go to these places and we'd hang out at the places where the gymnasts were and we'd kind of geek out on that. It was absolutely outstanding. Uh, let's see, Jeff, for me, um, Michael Jordan, I think Jordan might be the best I had ever seen, but Giannis has got a chance. Honorable mention, Giannis, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Roger Maris, 
and Wayne Gretzky. Uh, San Jose, thank you. That's it, San Jose. That was the city. Right, um, thank you. Uh, Nolan Ryan or Ricky Henderson. Nolan won his 30th, 300th game in Milwaukee. Um, Ricky broke Lou Brock's single-season stolen base record in Milwaukee. Jeff, I think Giannis could pass by Michael Jordan if he keeps developing. I, I agree. I, I agree. I mean, I, I, and I really saw this watching this whole game last night. His game is really becoming... An all-round game. Brett Favre, well, Brett Favre was just incredible at the time. Jeff, Reggie Jackson back in the day. A lot of people are mentioning um, Hank Aaron, no question about that. Um, Jeff, for me, it would be Warren Spahn of the Milwaukee Braves, best left-handed pitcher ever. I didn't, uh, before my time, Reggie White. number of people are saying Reggie White. Reggie White was absolutely incredible, too. Talk about somebody who was taken way too soon. That would be it. Okay. We could go on for another half hour, but I can't. Got to make way for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Thanks for participating in Pop Culture Corner. Hope we had some fun with sports this week.